We've been doing a series called Margins, which uh, has kind of been represented by that little video piece we've been doing. We started off the very first week just telling you what the agenda of the series was, which is this. It's to forever change my approach. We actually believe Jesus wants us to do life differently than the rest of the world does, and so we've been working on that. And God has been challenging us to contemplate what would life really look like? If we pushed in and chose to live in faith and trust him to actually fill in the gap when we were being obedient to all of the areas of our lives where he calls us to have margin, areas like finances and compassion and rest and Sabbath. You know, the truth is this, we're addicted to speed, right? We're addicted to progress. We just want to keep going faster and faster and faster. And it ticks us off just a little when the God of the universe has the nerve to show up in the middle of our fast paced life and say, hey, you slow down, step into the margin and see whether or not I'll actually meet you there. In fact, here's what happens to us. We push into the, mar- push into the margin and then we get a little freaked out because we think we haven't got the gap and our answer to everything is push a little harder. And then we take, sir, take scripture out of context and we justify it by saying, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it kind of freaks people out. So we defined it this way. Margin is the space between life and losing it. That's what margins define this. So, and you see it every single day. So yesterday, on my way to church, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm coming down the guide, lots of traffic, and there's a guy behind me leaving no margin between his front bumper and my back bumper. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And so we're driving along, and I can see by the look on his face and the hand gestures that he is sending to me, which I'm pretty sure we're not American Sign Language, Okay. <laughs> But he's sending me these, and every message that he's sending me is, I don't have any margin. I left late. I've got to catch up. I've got to keep going faster and faster and faster. So I did what every good follower of Jesus would do in that situation. I slowed way down. I'm going to give you the gift of margin. You're welcome. In Jesus' name, right? That's how it goes, right? Jesus doesn't want anyone living on the edge and losing it, losing that gap. And we actually believe God's got a better plan, but we've got to make a decision. Are we going to trust him to fill in the gap while, being, while we are being obedient? Because if we do, we're going to live counterculturally against the stream of everything that our fast-paced culture tells us we're supposed to be doing. So last week, we talked strategically about taking a day away. A day away from the to-do list and the pressures, and it created some interesting conversations. My email box was very busy. Because people want to know, how do I actually do that? How do I take that ancient principle and apply it in a modern day context? I mean, people were asking, do I just sit in the corner with my Bible all day long? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? Or am I supposed to chant? Or am I allowed to do anything fun? And I got this question a lot. Where does football fit in the midst of all that? It's just inquiring minds want to know, right? So let me just give you some practical Sabbath ideas. I don't think I did a good job of this last week. So let me give you some practical Sabbath ideas as we continue to develop this idea of margin. Here's number one. You got to prepare ahead of time so nobody else's work is actually increased. Okay, the goal of Sabbath should be rest. But if you having a Sabbath actually increases the workload for somebody else in your family, you may need to rethink that. Okay, you may need to come up with a different plan. You may need to prepare your house ahead of time so you're not tempted to go and clean it all Sunday afternoon. Okay, you may need to prepare a meal ahead of time so nobody ends up sitting in the, in, in the kitchen or working away in the kitchen, you know, chained to a stove. That's not cool. In fact, I asked a question last week in this service. Didn't say it in any of the other services. You guys caught it and boy, it created some interesting feedback. Here was my question about creating space in this way. If you put as much attention 
into your Sabbath as you do into your tailgate party, I wonder how different your Sabbath would be. Just ask him. Suggestion number two, joyful engagement in worship. I mean, you're doing it right now, right? Church is a great aspect of Sabbath. And I want to encourage you, come with joy and expectancy and hope. Come with all of your garbage into a community where it's okay to not be okay and lay this stuff down and for that little bit of time, focus completely and totally on the one Savior who could actually do something about that pile of stuff that you dragged here, or dragged in here with you. Thirdly, hold your schedule loosely. I mean, just taking a rest from your normal regimented schedule, just ditching the timeline and the deadline and spending a day just kind of wandering through it at a completely different pace. You may be surprised how unbelievably refreshing that could be. Here's another suggestion. Enjoy nature. Okay, take a walk, but don't attach a timeline to it. Get outside and enjoy the world that God created for you. Go out and don't have an assigned time to get back. I mean, it kind of sucks the joy. I was like, we're going for a walk and we will be back at 212. That's how it's going to work because we need to be back at 212 because we got three minute buffer time and then we got to be in the car and go on the grandma's house. You've defeated, defeated the purpose completely. Get outside and understand this. Just going for a walk is not Sabbath unless you invite the king of the universe who ordered you to rest to go with you. When you're out for a walk by that stream, guess what? He made it for you. He knew you were going to be there. Christ in every single moment. So recognize that. Invite him to go on the walk. And recognize the fact that he made the stream, that he created the trees, that the sky that you're walking in. Did anybody see the sky this morning really early? Oh no, you guys are the sleeping service. You don't see anything, all right? So earlier this morning, it was gorgeous. And it's like God is playing a game with color. It's like, here's a gift for all my kids in Whatcom County. That's the beauty of it. Here's another suggestion, recreate. I mean, think about what those two words mean, right? Recreating. You're recreating a different perspective, which means on your Sabbath, it is okay to do something that brings you joy. So my Sabbath is not Saturday, it's not Sunday. I work those days. My Sabbath is Friday. That's Laurel and my day. And very often I like to begin, or at least in the first part of the day, I like to go for a run. Can I tell you something? It's not because I like the exercise. I go for a run because I hear Jesus when I run. He talks to me through the rhythm of my shoes on the pavement. Some of you, he talks to you when you're painting. Some of you, he talks to you when you're singing. Sometimes he talks to you when you're serving. I have no idea how God talks to you, but a Sabbath that is all about Jesus, there's nothing wrong with having a moment when you get to enjoy yourself. So if running brings you joy, run. If playing with your kids brings you joy, play. It doesn't have to be somber. In fact, if Jesus is in the center of it, it should be joy-filled, amen? It should be joy-filled. Here's another idea, a Sabbath meal. I mean, the root of the word Sabbath is to savor, right? Savoring good food as a gift from God is a great way to bring God into those conversations and those moments. The truth is this, we tend to, to eat and enjoy at hyper speed, right? You know, we walk up to a buffet and it's like, oh, food, right? And it's just like we inhale it. We don't actually taste it. We got a fork in one hand and a remote control in the other, completely ignoring the people that God has placed around us, okay? A Sabbath meal does this. Slow down and actually taste and see that the Lord is good. Enjoy the conversation around you. Savor some quiet 
Savor some silence, some solitude. Make something together and enjoy it for the sheer thought that God loves it when he sees his children enjoying themselves. Let's keep going. Another suggestion, rest from worry. Okay, don't do anything that distracts you or, inc- or increases your worry, all right? So what distracts you or increases your worry? It could be all different kinds of things. Adding to the to-do list, getting through the pile of bills, whatever that happens to be. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. If your world can't survive one day without you, the wrong king is on the throne. So it should be a day devoid of worry. I'm just choosing not to worry. You know what scripture says? Tomorrow will worry about itself. Instead, I'm going to be in this moment. I'm going to be in this conversation. That's the final suggestion. Engage in a godly conversation that builds people up. So people on your Sabbath, talk, share a story, ask a question, talk about Jesus, pray for each other, encourage, laugh, listen. That is the beauty of Sabbath that we all have the opportunity to enjoy. Now, like I said, if Jesus isn't in the center of it, it's just another meal. If Jesus isn't on the walk, it's just another walk. The idea of Sabbath is to bring Christ into every moment. Oh, that sounds like a song that I heard somebody singing. Just saying. You know, there's another name for a day when you get to relax and eat and enjoy and play and experience and laugh and engage. And if you're my age, take a nap, right? Anybody else found the beautiful? I mean, as a kid, you used to hate it when your parents made you do that. You hit my age Sunday afternoon, just like, I'm out, right? I just want to lay down and relax and rest for just a little bit. There's another word that kind of encompasses all of those words together. The word is blessing. It's blessing. So here's the big idea. God calls us to meet him in the margin because it's the place of blessing. Now, it's amazing what happens. As soon as you start talking about this stuff, people can get all legalistic about it. I got an email this week from someone who gave me... 27 qualifiers that you have to engage in if you're going to have a truly godly Sabbath. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've got to check 27 boxes? I don't think so. My Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So I have an opportunity to step into that. Should I have a Sabbath? You bet I should. But I get to step into it. When we get all legalistic about the form, it just goes weird. I mean, parents, you know what this looks like, right? It's just like, okay, kids, been listening to church. We're going to have a Sabbath, and this is how it's going to roll, all right? You're getting up at 8. You're going to have breakfast. We're going to eat it together, and you're going to like it. No television, no nothing. Then we're going to church. You're going to like that too. Then we're coming home. We're having lunch together. You're going to enjoy that, and then you will take a nap. (laughs) Oh, that's great, right? It's like the kids are like, sign me up. When we get all legalistic, the blessing becomes duty. And when we're doing out of duty, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the joy just leaves. So let's take a step. What's been the whole basis of this series? That we're actually going to believe that if we step off of the treadmill of life for the one day that God has asked us to, that he's actually going to fill in the gap and we're actually going to end up further ahead than the rest of the people that are out there in the rat race or running on the hamster wheel. As we get ready to wrap the series up, let me share a margin moment with you, okay? Jesus and his disciples are out doing life, and they get hijacked by a group of people who are all about the rules. They're all about the legalities, right? The Bible says this in Mark chapter 2. Let me read it for you. One Sabbath, there's the topic, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, 
Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. Okay, just stop there for a second and get the picture. Jesus and his friends are out just walking through a wheat field. I grew up in Manitoba. There's wheat fields everywhere. And you can actually walk out, grab a head of wheat, rub it between your hands so all the chaff and stuff disappears. And what's left is what we make unbelievable bread and pasta out of. You can just pop it in your mouth and eat it raw. It's amazing. So that's what they're doing. Then a group of church police show up and say, hey, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to work and gather food on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, what do you do with King David then? David was hungry. He actually showed up. He actually broke into a church and ate the communion stuff. That's the equivalent, right? And then it says he also gave some to his companions. Verse 27, then he said to them, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So get the picture. It's a Sabbath day. And Jesus and his guys are just out for a walk, hanging out, doing life together. That's a clue about how we're supposed to do it right there, okay? They run into a group of religious neatniks and they have an issue. And the issue is this. You're not supposed to gather food on the Sabbath because it was perceived as work. Okay, you were supposed to plan ahead so you didn't have to work. And last week we unpacked how big of an ask that was when God shows up in an age when there's no refrigeration and there's no storage and says to a group of people, every single day you go out and gather food so you don't die. I want you to take a day off from that. Trust me that I'm going to fill in all of the gaps and I want you to take that one day and rest and focus on me. So the guys are out doing that. They get hungry. They grab some wheat. They begin to eat it. The church police show up and they bust them for having the snack because they're not supposed to be working, okay? Now, I got a weird brain, so I look at scripture from a thousand different angles when I'm getting ready for this kind of stuff. And I look at that story and I go, why do the church police have an issue with that? Because I have a bigger question. What happened to you shall not steal? Why aren't they busting them for that, right? It's not Jesus' field. The Bible said Jesus didn't have a field. It's not one of the disciples' fields. None of the disciples had fields, all right? The field belonged to somebody else. And the last time I checked, when you take something that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to somebody else, that's stealing, okay? So I'm at Winco last week, picking up a few things for church here, you know, and I'm in the produce section, and there's a guy standing at the grape table, and he's sampling, right? He's picking a grape here and he's popping there. I got to check out that one. He's going back and forth. So I did what you're supposed to do, right? I stared at him, right? I think if I stare at him and make him uncomfortable enough, he's going to knock it off and stop. So he sees me staring at him and he says, hey, Pastor Grant. I'm like, hi, grape thief. How's it going, right? What are you supposed to say, right? I'm staring at him, he's staring at me. We start just kind of talking about stuff. And finally, I can't help myself. Because while we're talking, he keeps eating. (laughs) So I ask the question that I think needs to be asked, right? Like, are you going to pay for those? And he kind of gets this confused look on his face. Which caused me to get a confused look on my face. Because I'm like, how are you not doing this math, right? He finally got all red. I think he finally clued in and... Eventually, you know, he left, but do you get get the point? It's like taking somebody else's crop 
even if it's Winco's crop. That's not cool. But I read this story, I'm like, why didn't the Pharisees bust them for stealing? Why wasn't theft the issue? Can I answer the question? Because it wasn't theft. Some of you are like, what? Jesus and his disciples were actually living off of somebody else's margin. It's like, where in the world are you getting that from? This is why I love my Bible, okay? Jesus is living out margin. God's always been living out margin, and he's highlighting again the blessing of margin, okay? Where do you find that principle in the Bible? I want to remind you, Jesus lived in a Jewish culture, so whoever it was that owned that field, he was living out margin because he was actually being obedient to what the Old Testament scriptures told him he was supposed to do. Leviticus 19, verse 9. Here it comes. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings or what's left over of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them to the poor. And yes, that's what the king of kings, our savior, that was his socioeconomic class. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. He would be in that category too because he was not of this earth. He came from heaven. And then God closes with this statement. I am the Lord your God. He's saying, if you do this, if you leave a little around the edges, I'll show up. I'll step into that moment. I will fill up that gap. That's how my heart, that's how my economy, that's how my system of agriculture works. If you do what I've asked you to do and leave a little around the edges, God will show up. So that's what was happening here. The farmer was leaving a little around the edges and Jesus and his disciples are wandering through it, which means it was completely fair game. And this is what I love. The farmer does what he's supposed to do. He actually lives out margin and who shows up in his margin? God does. My friends, if you leave a little around the edges, he will show up. Listen to more scripture, Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, so you're gathering weed and one falls off the back of the trailer, right? Don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord may bless all of the work of your hands. That's what the father did. The farmer shows up and he takes God at his word and he begins to experience the blessing and the promise and the presence of God simply because he's obedient. That's the result of living with margin. So let me say it to you again if you didn't get it the first time. God calls us to meeting him in the margin because it is the place of blessing. So 16 years ago, I'm a pastor working right here in the county and I am leading a congregation, not as their primary pastor, but as the youth pastor. But I, I, I have decided that I am not going to live with the margin of tithing. I just decided I'm, I'm, no, I'm out. I've said this here before. For nine years as a pastor, I just, I just took a flyer. I decided I was the grand exception. I leave margin in a bunch of areas of my life, but I'm not doing that one. I give God all of my time because I'm a youth pastor. I give him whatever talent I have. When it comes to my wallet, God, you keep your grubby paws off of it. That's mine. That's how it was working. And I did what so many of us do. We decide, I'm, that's my loophole. I'm going to do the Sabbath one. I'm, I'm going to do the rest one. As far as the compassion and the tithing one, forget it. It's a tough place to be. 
Well, I will never forget, a man from our church leadership came to me humbly as a brother. In fact, he changed the course of a trajectory of my life personally in that moment. And so his name was Alan Brim. God bless his heart. He still lives around here. And Alan came to me humbly, not as the church police. He came as a brother. And I will never forget what he said or how he said it to me. He said, Grant, I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed that someone who loves Jesus as much as you do would cheat God out of the opportunity to show you how much he wants to bless you. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Alan was being a brother. Grant, I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed that someone who loves Jesus as much as you do would cheat God out of the opportunity to show you how much he wants to bless you. My wife is a cheerful giver. I'm still working on it. She's a cheerful giver. And so she actually helped us begin to instill this margin into our life. And I promise you something. When you do things God's way, God shows up. He just shows up. When you leave a little around the edges, you get to live out a principle that even in that little bit of gap, God shows up and it not only benefits you, it gets to benefit other people as well. So how can we live with a little around the edges today in our culture? I saw it happen this morning. Sitting out in the commons drinking coffee with a friend and I see a family walk in with two little grocery bags and they put it in the food bank there. They've been blessed. They're eating this week. So they brought a little bit extra and they put it in the food bank bin. So Tuesday afternoon when Tracy and her amazing staff at the food bank open up the doors, anybody that needs something to eat can actually come in and get something to eat because we believe as a church that no one should go to bed hungry in Whatcom County as long as Christ the King Community Church can do something about it. So that's the decision, right? It's a little extra. When we vacationed as a family, my wife, who's just an unbelievably generous person, She would give money to our kids so that if we ran into somebody who just blessed us in some way, that we'd have an opportunity to bless them. I'll never forget, we were down kind of in the southern part of the the states. Anybody know what a Waffle House is, right? That's a real breakfast place, right? You know, the four food groups, eggs, bacon, fat, and lard, right? All together. (laughs) There's no fruit allowed in a Waffle House, right? And we're there, and this lady... Just this older waitress, just, she just treated us like family. It's like we went to grandma's house for breakfast. And because Laurel helped us understand the principle of what happens when you leave a little around the edges, we got to leave behind just a little bit extra. And we didn't get the joy watching her discover what was tucked underneath of the coffee cup. The joy came as we sat outside and realized that God had given us a window on how he met somebody else's need, even though we had no idea what her story was. See, when it's all God in the fir- God's in the first place, he makes sure that it ends up exactly where it's supposed to go. It really comes back to faith and trust, doesn't it? So as we get ready to wrap up this series and we talk about living with margin, it's really the same challenge over and over again. Do we trust God enough that when we leave the margin that he's asked us to leave, that he'll step in and fill in the gap? And I want to remind you, he doesn't often fill in the gap exactly the way that we make the deposit. Sometimes it's completely different. But he is the God who does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine. 
So as we live with that kind of margin, let me just wrap it up with this. So I'm going to live with margin as number one, and we wrap this up, as I choose to obey. You know, I've got to believe, I have to choose to believe that God actually knows how to do my life better than I do. I have to believe. And I can say that I believe, but that doesn't mean I believe it unless I actually do something about it. So we've laid out these four areas of margin, compassion, finances, rest, and Sabbath. And the reality is this, you can sit here every single week and go, amen, that's awesome. If you don't do it, you don't really believe it. We have to cross the line and actually begin to step into a moment when we actually say, God, I'm going to believe you to the point of actually doing what you've asked me to do. I mean, here's the beauty of it. You remember the story? So Jesus is walking through the field. Church police show up. They confront him about the issue. You're not supposed to be doing that. And Jesus says, this is how the conversation ends. He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, which means this. Every time you choose margin, that's God's gift to you. That's him saying, this is for you. You will reap the benefit. If you're willing to take the day, if you're willing to do the rest, if you're willing to live out the compassion, if you're willing to trust me financially, every single time you do that, you're going to find waiting on the other side of that is a gift. It's God's gift to you. See, Sabbath is not made, man was not made for a Sabbath. Sabbath was actually made as a gift for man. So you've got to choose to obey. Secondly, I choose to cheat. You're like, what? I choose to cheat. The world says it's all about your job and your income. God says it's all about him and his family. The problem with so many of us is we're over here working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and asking God to look after the responsibility that we all have at home. If that's you, can I just be blunt? That's a deal God won't make. God, while I'm over here making a fortune, I want you to look after my family for me. That's a deal God will not make. God says, no, 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 no. If you're going to cheat, you cheat the rat race. And you choose my family every time. And you see whether or not I will not bless you in ways that you don't even have an understanding. You're going to be challenged this week on what side you're going to have to cheat. Cheat towards the cross. Cheat towards what scripture tells us to do. And you just find out. You come back and tell me whether or not God does not honor his promise and step into that margin and bless you in a way that you don't even understand. Here's number three. I have to choose to follow. If I'm going to live with margin, I've got to choose to follow. Has anybody else noticed that God walks with a different rhythm and pace than we do? You know, over the years I've discovered God just kind of wanders along. Like he doesn't have a timeline. Like he doesn't have a schedule. He just finds a completely different rhythm. He walks slowly and with purpose. And when I follow him, one of the things that makes us different is we walk with a different pace and rhythm than the rest of the world. There is a rhythm to the hamster wheel, right? Running fast and going nowhere. Those of us that are followers of the Most High God, we need to walk with a different rhythm. It may be slower, but it ultimately ends not in this earthly reward. It actually ends when we cross the finish line of heaven and fall into the arms of our Savior and He whispers, well done, 
good and faithful servant. I checked that verse this morning in my Bible. It does not say, well done, fast and furious servant. Well done, good, faithful servant. But it takes a step of faith and it's scary, right? We talked about fear the very first week. What keeps us from stepping into the margin? We're scared. We're scared. We're, we're not going to be able to, we're, we're not going to be able to get it. What's it? We're scared we're not going to be able to keep up with them. Who are they? We're scared that the piece of the pie is going to get smaller. So what? Scripture says there's an eternal reward for those who are willing to step into margin today. But it takes a step of faith, doesn't it? I'll close with this quote from Oswald Chambers. I love it. Faith never knows where it's being led. But it loves and knows the one who's leading. Let me say that again. Faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. Church, do you have enough faith and enough trust to follow someone who loves you so much, instead of calling you into the rat race, he made the decision to call you into the margin? That little border around the edge that gives followers of Jesus a little space to breathe. That little piece around the edge that allows us to walk beside still quiet waters, like it says in Psalm 23. That little bit of an edge that allows us to discern between a good thing and a God thing. That little bit around the edge that allows us to not get distracted by all the voices of culture that say, keep up, come on, a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. And to only listen to the voice that says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you We want to forever change our approach. Next week, we start a new series. We're going to forever change our understanding. We're going to look at some famous Bible verses that Christians famously use out of context and do a lot of damage every time we open our mouths with them. But for this morning, before we just disappear back out into the world, what if we took a moment of margin and spoke to the God that calls us there? Would you pray with me as we close today? Lord Jesus, we hear your whisper today. A whisper that says, trust me. Step into the margin and see if I don't meet you there. A voice that speaks to those of us that are caught in the rat race on the hamster wheel, running fast and going nowhere. A voice that says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Father, we are as far away from practically applying this as our next appointment. So Lord, I pray that Christ would be in every moment and that we would ask the question, God, do you want me to have margin right here, right now? Will you allow me to rest? Will you allow me to have the peace that you promise? Lord, I pray that each one of us would see and know that when we are obedient to your call to margin, that that's a call from you to, that says, I'll meet you there. I will meet you there if you will trust me to fill in the gap. So 
So God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may the family of Christ the King strategically step away from the direction that our culture is flying. And may we step into the quiet place where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords promises to fill in the gap. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen.